Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Rough Draft. I am your host, Reza Aslan. We have a very special episode of Rough Draft today. We have not one guest, but two guests, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the writing duo that brought us literally the biggest movie in the world, Avengers Endgame. Of course, they also wrote Infinity War. In fact, they've been with Marvel for quite some time now. Uh, they wrote uh, all of the Captain America movies, including my favorite Marvel movie, Civil War. That's, I think, really the height of the Marvel experience is Captain America Civil War. But nevertheless, these two have been together for a very, very long time. In fact, they met in writing school. They've only ever written together. Their first attempt at co-writing was a never-made episode of Baywatch, which I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say that had this episode actually been made, it would have been Emmy-worthy TV right there. Obviously, the main reason that I wanted to talk to Marcus and McFeely had to do with the fact that they are at the height of the superhero genre, this genre that has completely taken over. In fact, we're going to have a, a bit of a testy exchange about what it means to have superheroes become sort of the primary mythology of our world now. And for those of you maybe unfamiliar with this term myth, mythology, look it up in a dictionary, people, because it doesn't mean what you think it means. It does not mean false story. On the contrary, myth literally means uh, stories of gods and goddesses. And of course, the truths that myths convey have very little to do with the actual facts of the story. Those truths are much, much deeper. But I make this argument to uh, Marcus and McFeely that... The superhero genre has become so popular, not just because of the spectacle and all that stuff, but because it has become the new myth for the way that we understand the world. Um, and look, I'm not the first person to bring this up, obviously, but I am someone who actually is going to go to the mat about it uh, and fight with uh, Marcus and McFeely about whether they are creating our new gods. In fact, we play a little game uh, in this episode of Rough Draft called God or Superhero, which I think you're going to really love. I describe a being, and, and Marcus and McFeely have to tell me whether I'm describing a god or a superhero, and I will tell you they did not do a very good job on this uh, game. We'll see how you do when you play it. But the main reason I wanted to talk to Marcus and McFeely has to do with the idea of collaboration. Listen, uh, I don't need to tell you this. A lot of writers know this already. Writing is a solitary enterprise, right? There are people who believe that uh, creativity by committee just simply doesn't work. It's actually why so much of television is just pure shit, because that creative process has to go through committee after committee and just get watered down and compromised. And yet, here is a collaborative uh, uh, writing duo 
Marcus and McFeely, who have managed to make this work for, for their entire career. And so we talk a lot about what is the key to making collaboration work? How do you uh, deal with each other's strengths and weaknesses? What happens when you have a disagreement? Um, you know, uh, can there actually be creativity by committee? And in the case of working in Marvel, it's not just the writers. I mean, you have to figure out a way to... Uh, connect your work to dozens of movies that come before you and dozens that are planned ahead of you. How do you do that? For those of you out there who don't write alone, who write with a writing partner, this episode is especially for you. And for those of you out there who are not writers, but who are just, you know, comic book geeks, uh, this episode is especially for you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Stephen McFeely and Christopher Marcus. Can we just begin uh, just by acknowledging for a minute mm. how big of a fucking deal it is that you guys uh, have written literally, literally the biggest movie in the history of the world. Let's just start there, shall we? Yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. We don't want to like just like race past that, you like, know? Unadjusted for inflation. <laughs> sure, <laughs> right. We'll find a way to undercut this. Don't do this. that. <laughs> That's, no, no. But this is the important thing that I think that I want to talk about and why I was so excited to have you guys on the show because the reason it's the biggest movie has to do with the writing. The writing is the core of it. It begins with words on the page, right? It's not just because of the spectacle right. or right. the the effects. I mean. Justice League had spectacle and effects, if you know what I mean. We're not I, here. I, I, I we're not no here aspersions. to shit on DC. I'm just saying. Uh, y- yes, it's, I'm just it's, saying. It starts with the words. It starts, and it starts with, with the, the words. words of 21 other movies, too. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's an important yeah. thing, and it begins with this notion that um, this, like the the complexity, right, of using dialogue to reveal character yeah. and to reveal three-dimensional characters, and that, that's no small feat, and I just want to congratulate both of you for, Thank for you, that. Sir. It's Thank really, you. really wonderful to be here. Um, so let, let's start, let's talk about this these, This decade. You were, you, it's been, I guess, 10 years since well, the first, uh, It's 11 Avengers. since we yes. first walked in the door for the meeting. Yeah? Yeah. No. How do you, when you kind of look back on that decade, what do you see, how do you feel? Is it just a blur? It's like one long job in a way, um, yeah. and so it's a little blurry. Uh, it's, uh, it's weird in that we, we got on the ground floor, essentially, of what became uh, sort of the go-to um, uh, uh, sort of cornerstone for blockbuster filmmaking. Yeah. Like, you know, we, it, we weren't planning on capturing the zeitgeist. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. needed a That was like a life's goal. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird. But I mean, to the point where, you know, other than uh, the story of the last 10 years, in many ways, is Netflix and Marvel, right? right. And what they have done to uh, Hollywood. Um, and so it's weird and kind of, it's, it's... You say done to... Like, it does, it like seems like it, I know. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Well, that's what they right. have on which side of Hollywood, Hollywood you're on. That's right. Out of the goodness <laughs> of their hearts. <laughs> yes. But I mean, I, I get that, like, at first, you know, like you said, look, we're, we're looking for a job and we're excited yeah. to be a part of this and we'll talk about how that all started. But when you get to the end of this road and you're sitting here writing these last two movies, mm. um, 
you must have had some idea. That was there some expectation of what was about to happen? Uh, I think we had an expectation of how much we had to do. Mm -hmm. um, well, it is a well, like seventeen-hour movie, right? Is it, it is a seventeen-hour well, film. Seventeen Showa. Yes. Slightly shorter. <laughs> yeah. And more. Mm -hmm. There was a uh, nap uh, in the middle. I remember in my movie theater. Really? Like, is that really? They gave yeah. us like a 90 minute nap yeah. halfway through. Yeah. Just so we could make it to the end. Yeah. We knew it was going to be big just by, just, I mean, a large thing, like a massive undertaking. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't also, I mean, and no, it doesn't seem to people like it was a risk, mm -hmm. but it was. Um, the second Avengers had not made as much as the first Avengers. You know, there are some people who believe there's a law of diminishing returns when you make sequels, mm -hmm. which these aren't. Right. But no. no. Uh, so taking on two of them, where you're going, okay, if the first one doesn't do very well, then we're what? sitting <laughs> on yes. you're, this. You're waiting around for your own funeral. This <laughs> other one. Right. Uh, By the way, can we just talk about scale here for a minute? Because yeah. I love this idea that it was like, it didn't do any well that well. Oh, it was like eight hundred sure. million, no, sure. and it was just like poor barely, Ultron like made one point four. No, yeah, no, I no, I, barely you know, a billion. Barely. I, I've, I'm just talking. I'm trying to express what happens in the mind of a I studio. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Which yeah. is a you know a scary dark place. <laughs> um, but. So it was, you know, for as big and corporate a thing sure. as it is on one level, it was also a, you know, we had to stop and go like, do we kind of a could be a fall on your face moment. Mm, right. Um, we, but we also knew it was the biggest puzzle we'd ever face. And it's almost like, uh, certainly in blockbuster filmmaking, it's the biggest puzzle any writer is going to have to face. It's two movies, it's 23 characters, at least in the first one. Yeah, was, right. you know, given the ambition of what we wanted to do, particularly in the second movie, there's just a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. So we knew it would uh, drain us <laughs> and that we would be husks on the other end, <laughs> as was kind of everyone involved mm -hmm. in it. Uh, many people went to the hospital over the course of their, you know, two years in Atlanta. I went. Uh, I went. To the <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we also sort of subscribed to the idea that you know, if it scares you, you really should think about doing it. Well, the stakes weren't just financial, obviously. I mean, you, this, there were story stakes involved. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, this was sort of meant to be sort of this grand conclusion, this bridge into mm. a whole other um, right. you know, generation for the, for the universe. Yeah. So all of that was on you guys. In a way, not, I mean, there have been so many franchises where they've either petered out or you get a repetitive effect. Mm -hmm. um, and this from the top down was always supposed to be an ending. And you, it's, you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. And many people who have attempted endings have not done so well. And it was, there was a lot of responsibility on our part to not fuck up mm -hmm. the humans in these stories because we knew, you know, there's a huge team of professionals and a pile of money that's going to handle the spicy and the spaceships and the beams that come out of people's eyes. You know, but if people aren't into the, interested in the characters, we're the, that's our job. Right. And that's really the thing that makes it you know, a grand conclusion or, yeah. a, or a, 
a fireworks show. Yeah, that's the difference between yeah. exactly the spectacle and the depth that actually gets people to go again and again. But it's why we it's why we did take it right. Yeah. If, if somehow we were being asked to uh, kick the can down the road, that's that's not that interesting to us. We were not going to we can't write a good movie that way. That's one of the secrets of the Marvel universe is that um, there are not sequels. To, it's it's I mean, it's television. It's really expensive television, mm. right? The, the characters uh, grow and they change and uh, and they get to different places. And it's, it's not just yeah, exactly, 10% yeah. different from the previous one <laughs> as it was in the 80s. It's good you know? television. <laughs> yes. Right. It's not television. like Love Boat. They well, didn't grow. Television now is Don't really shit good. on Love Boat. No, I mean, some of it. <laughs> I grew I just up also, on Love Boat. <laughs> Don't care. I'm just saying sequels... Mm-hmm. The traditional, when people are bad-mouthing yes. sequels and people who don't go to the Marvel yeah. movies bad-mouth the yeah. Marvel movies, they are thinking more like right. a CSI, where it's right. it's the same thing. Right. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Yeah. Right. I watched yeah. a lot of CSI. I'm not bad-mouthing. Yeah. Right. But this like is more like a piece CSI. of long... I mean, I would say more that it's part and parcel of this rediscovery of long-form yeah. storytelling mm-hmm. that the world is going through. And, you know, for all the think pieces we get about how particleized all our information is and we can't digest anything more than this big and there's a big movement toward people really wanting and demanding long form product both on a on a on a TV level and on a movie series level and on a like podcasts yeah like i remember my father used to complain that about talk shows that like they used to really have conversation. <laughs> now it's just like five seconds, a couple jokes, and it's over. He missed the Good night, Dick Cavett check. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but like Mark Maron, you know, talks for an hour and a half to yeah. these people, and yeah. people love it because, you know. So it's weird in that while we're all complaining that our brains are dying, we're becoming much more open to. Right. Big, long, complicated. Yeah, we're hungry for depth. We can ask more of audiences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Were you guys um, into comic books when you were kids? I was not. I was more of a Star Wars kid. Mm. Chris, uh, I I had a. My cousin gave me a big box of comic books. All like plastic wrapped. No, no, like torn up. And she was older than me, so they were probably from the '60s. But they were like, not in great shape. So Mm -hmm. don't get upset when I say they're not around anymore. But I would read those over and over and over again. Were and, there particular superheroes that uh, you kind of gravitated towards? I did read a lot of Avengers. And really? Spider-Man wow. and eventually X-Men. And uh, But then, you know, I got into high school and people started looking at me funny. Mm-hmm. And I you was like, I, no, I also, well, no, I mean, let's, uh, come <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> but I did start to read things without pictures mm. in them for a while. But, well, I'm curious, uh, just since yeah. since you've had this long relationship with um, comic books, you dated them, I would say. Yes, I did, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. Deep, yeah. lasting love affair. Um, they were handed to him in a box. We still talk. They were handed in a box with uh, some Kleenex and <laughs> some lotion. Uh, yeah. um, oh. And I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> look, dry skin can be a problem, especially in cold weather. <laughs> when... As you were growing older, so how old were you when when you got the box? Oh, I was uh, probably like eight. Okay, eight. So for what, maybe a decade you were reading these things? Less, less, less. But I'm curious like how your relationship to the comics or to the heroes themselves changed. Like uh, how, as you got older, did the way that you read these comics shift and how? Well, I think that's where Marvel comes in. 
mm. Mar the, the Marvel Comics Stanley style is is built for adolescence and it's built uh, around how horrible adolescence is and right. all the characters you know spider-man's literally going through it and everybody yeah. else is all kind of contorted uh -huh. in a way that you really get at that I, age it's me where it's like they if you read me. superman or batman you're like oh that's cool but yeah. i don't really have a ton in common with them um the marvel that phase of Marvel mm -hmm. heroes were all screwed up. And as a kid, you're like, I, and that's the sort of the secret of that era Marvel success is that it's not kids fantasizing about being superheroes. It's kids like, it's the same effect of reading Catcher in the Rye or something. It's right. like, oh shit, somebody understands somebody me. Somebody gets me. And there's Spider-Man in it, right. but it's like, there's a very good grasp of the adolescent psyche in there. So, but not not you. You you never got into comics. No, really I was Dungeons and Dragons slightly, mm -hmm. and Star Wars pretty big. Yeah. But what did you? I mean, so Star Wars obviously deeply. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, Star Wars obviously has an enormous depth of mythology yeah. in it. You know, ideas of good and evil, and yeah. destiny, and prophecy, all of that stuff. I mean, that must have had a huge effect on you as a writer. Oh, for sure. I. Uh, I'm not really joking when I say this. I kind of just try to keep making Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, <laughs> and over Aliens and over and over and over, over again. And because over, yeah. those are the movies that sure. you know punch me in the face when I was at the right age. And I just keep yeah. going, we did that last time. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Just, it's, wor just it's fine. It. Find a new movie Billions. from your past. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that so the, those uh, that kind of blockbuster uh, genre storytelling really got me uh, sort of when I was ten to fourteen. Did, is that what yeah. made you want to be a writer? Ah, oh, geez, um, it made me it made me want to be a film writer ultimately, but I certainly mm -hmm. didn't understand that those movies were written at that time. Right. You know, that was much later yeah. that Chris, neither, you know, neither does the studios. They don't, they don't understand that either. Only topic knows. Actors are yeah. only just finding out. Yeah. No, actors just, they're just, you know, making up their I'm, words. I made that yeah. up, didn't I? <laughs> just, yeah, I think I did. Um, you guys met in college, right? In undergrad? Grad graduate school. school. Graduate school. Yeah. What, how? Tell me, what was the what was the context of that? UC Davis. UC Davis. Phys <laughs> physics department. That's right. Mm. I was. We were TA. walking by the physics. No, uh, <laughs> wait, you. That's right. <laughs> For just a minute, <laughs> I was like, "Wait, what? really? What? Research? That can't. Uh, I did not the, get that in the any UC of these Davis notes. Creative Writing Graduate Program. Legendary Fiction graduate section. Program. Uh, Legendary if you mm -hmm. write about nature and uh, pretty much nature yeah. and the lower Sierras. You guys both right. wanted to be novelists, right? Kind of. Yeah, that was Yeah, idea. I'd have taken it. So basically, this is just the story of two more failed two novelists in Hollywood. Yeah. Is, that, you know, is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> is that what's happening? Uh, you know, we, I, I'm very pleased with how it all shook out, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it became very clear that uh, uh, that writing a novel wasn't going to allow us to um, eat food. Eat food, yeah, yeah. exactly. So right. we went, oh, where do they let you eat food for the writing, right? And we <laughs> eventually made our way down right. here. Yeah. The whiff of craft services. Exactly. exactly. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, well you're telling me I crackers? can eat as much of that as I, I want. All of this? All the M&Ms you can eat? That's right. Um, so you, you guys met in the workshop, in the yeah. workshop yeah. experience. Yeah, we were two of yeah. eight uh, people in the room. And yeah. how'd, that, how'd that go? Like, did you just get along right away? Because, I mean, I, I've been in a workshop, yeah. and I hated everybody. Uh. It's, we got <laughs> the, our 
year got along pretty well. The yeah. next year there came um, some hate. <laughs> some hate was injected. We, uh, you know, we occupied very similar spaces as sort of smart ass, right? Oh, right? There were other people who were perhaps more serious or more talented, but they, Chris and I were sort of, you know. Or more nature oriented. Yeah, we were nature oriented. <laughs> so then, what made you guys decide to start working together? How did that, uh, how did that happen? Well, literally, it's in my apartment on a Saturday, watching my little night, little mm -hmm. TV. I don't think it was night. Night. I don't think it was night because oh. Baywatch wasn't on at night. <laughs> <laughs> and we were watching Baywatch, as one is wont to do. Such yeah. a good show. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, we realized that someone great wrote writing, it. Huge, great writing, huge writing. Well, the what was huge, really appealing gorgeous is writing. not a ton of words in that. <laughs> like, there's some words set up, mm -hmm. then a lot of running, and then yeah. a little more setup, and then some running. Uh, and we thought so basically an Avengers movie. Uh, oh, gosh. Wow, really? Is this no. how you treat? Did you treat no. the Pulitzer Prize winner this way? <laughs> yeah, come back with the Pulitzer. <laughs> Little do you know, Pulitzer Prize winner also got to start watching. <laughs> that's right. Um, but we thought, okay, I mean, it was just sort of a test case of like, okay, that's a uh, somebody right. wrote right. that. Well, that is a job a writer right. has. Right. Right. Because sort of. you know, yeah. at this point, everybody in the program is talking about, you know, okay, it's a two-year program. Yeah, like, we're about to graduate. And yeah, people are, are going like, I hear maybe the like the like the the, the Banana Republic catalog. Yeah. And get paid to write in that. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> no, but it's like you would get a job in publishing or you'd right. get yeah. a job writing techno manuals or something like There's that. Always, there was always yeah. that one guy who had spent two years crafting the most perfect short story. Right. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. got in. And, and right? then, yeah. you know. Uh, then, but th th that's absolutely. Like we had heard uh, the success story from the program a couple years earlier. Like somebody, we could go to what was then Bookstar and look on the shelf, and and there her novel was, and we went, oh, I can see the. It happened. I can see yeah. it from here. Right. Can I ask how much did they make? Well, it took her three years, and, uh -huh. and she made ten thousand dollars. And we went, oh, that's not food money, is it? <laughs> well, I gotta also, have another that, that's job. In three yeah. installments. That's by what the way. I mean. Yeah. 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 Like it's a, so yeah. so around this time, as we are realizing that. Uh, things on television are written. Um, my uncle for that Christmas, would have been 94, gave me a book, because he knew I was in graduate school writing, gave me a book, How to Sell Your Story to Hollywood. And I went, <laughs> yeah. wow, I don't know any of these words. This is crazy. Yeah. And so I brought it to Chris. And I, know, and I guess because you were my friend there at the time, and we had been, I don't know if we've been talking, friend. but I don't know if we've been talking yet about what no, to do what, next. No, I, I don't know. We um, did plot out two Baywatches just to did. see if we could That's do it. True. I don't remember whether That's that was true. before or after the book. That's right. I don't Can know. I see those, please? Yeah. They were genius. <laughs> Perhaps a plot twist. little meta. Uh, sure. A little meta. Uh, uh, yeah, Pam Anderson befriends a prostitute. Um, and who uh, wants to go uh, on the straight? She wants to go now. straight because and her because her pimp isn't that you know nice, and so oh, she goes. <laughs> turns out the pimp's nice not nice. Pimp. Yeah. yeah, we started we slightly unfriendly yeah. pimp. So it, she goes it. through the lifeguard training program. Mm -hmm. This Aces. is the, like the B, Aces. This is like the B plot. I can't remember what the A plot. The A plot was <laughs> B plot. underwater. Mitch <laughs> finds his sunken <laughs> Japanese submarine. I was just going to say, did it involve a treasure? It did. It did. World War II sub. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, the effects budget on this one episode alone. Even been then, don't leave me hanging. What happened oh, to her? Sorry. So oh, she goes did to the she program. Make it? Yes, and she succeeds. But around that time, the pimp finds out where she is, and he comes to the Santa Monica Beach, right? And he says, "Hey, what's that dirty whore doing you know, over there?" And then Mitch stands up and says, "That's no whore. That's an LA County lifeguard." <laughs> 
Damn! <laughs> give me the, give me the Oscar now. Damn! Uh, good stuff. Good I, and stuff. I, I don't mean I don't mean this to <laughs> yeah. come out the wrong way, but when did you do something good? Yeah, uh, understood. A couple of years later. <laughs> well, what we did, he got the book. Yeah. The, um, so we we're like, uh-huh. okay, right, okay, that's a done. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wrote a thriller right. for 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 college credit. Um, we had, we had a sympathetic teacher who said, yeah. "We'll give you three three credits if." You I mean, actually write a whole screen. That was one of the great things is the head of the program did not, you know, despite the fact that this was a nature-oriented fiction and poetry <laughs> program. And I keep saying that like it's a bad thing. It's a lovely thing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but he I, wa- I, I don't even I don't even know what you mean by that. Like did it involve sloths? Gary I don't Snyder. Get it. it involved oh, okay, a lot right, of right. appreciating I, I, now I get it. The, yeah, the yeah. lower Sierras. Right. <laughs> 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 But he had seen enough classes go through and enough promising people go on to careers as waiters to mm-hmm. not go like, Hollywood. <laughs> he was like, a, yeah, that's a yeah. thing. That is a thing writers do. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I will give you credit if you actually do that because I would like somebody from this program <laughs> <laughs> to, to, have to a continue job to, writing. Yeah, right. Um, so we wrote a thriller. Because Seven had come out. Yeah. Oh, and this it is dating us a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah. Was horrendous. Like, just so unthrilling and <laughs> laughably bad and like sort of pious and terrifying. Yep. And, and we, we finished it and we never showed it to anybody, which is probably the best, the single best mm-hmm. decision we've done over the course of the last 20 years was put that... Put that in the, Put drawer. in the drawer. Light that on fire. That thing mm-hmm. sucks. Right. We're not proud of it. You know, because you get a lot of people who are very proud that they finished the thing and then mm-hmm. they want to, you know, and I understand, but like, read it. Right. You guys take a week and Give read some it. thought to pulling it out. I think Netflix will buy it. Just buy that thing. <laughs> yeah. You know. We, uh, halfway through, because again, we're learning all of this, all of this at, at, at once, right? Because we don't know anything about screenwriting. We're not taking a screenwriting class. We're there to write fiction. Mm-hmm. And so we're buying books and reading about <laughs> margins and all sorts of stuff, slug yeah. lines. And, yeah, and we didn't have a program. Well, no either. program. This is no, just we were just Word and we're indenting and creating this little thing. <laughs> and, uh, and, about, and so it was laborious just on, on, on that level. Uh, but halfway through, we're just making fun of this because we know we've picked a genre that's not us. And so the guy would lean over the body and he'd say something hilarious. And we go, oh, I'd love it if you could say that. You can't say <laughs> yeah. that. And we vowed that when we write another one, and we, that we, I'm glad that we wrote another one and we didn't just, you know, uh, we said we're going to leave that stuff in. Mm. And that's going to be because it's us and, uh, you know, it's, it's not chasing something we saw uh, uh, at the Cineplex. Uh, and and that became our spec script, that next thing, uh, and eventually got made, but it was never intended to. Mm-hmm. But it, it was definitely uh, it spoke uh, to us, and it's it, it was it spoke about us really. And by that point, we had moved to LA and had jobs we didn't like, so there was a real impetus to write another one. It wasn't like we were right. comfortable, so it was boy, this 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 literally is the end of the idea mm-hmm. right. unless we crank something else out. So. So I guess your first taste of success was the life and death of Peter Sellers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? Uh, we had written. We wrote a true story. Uh, That's what an ad. We we wrote a true story for the actor Bill Pullman, uh, who had the rights to an article. 
Um, and we were not in the guild, so we didn't even mm. demand guild minimum at that point. <laughs> which is actually a good thing. You were like, I'll do yeah. it for a bucket of chicken. It's kind of what it was. It yeah. was a bucket of chicken, but it was, it was one of it was a fascinating story. Uh, and we got to, we paid the rent. Mm. Um, and it didn't get made. It almost got made. It didn't get made, but it was a much better sample for certain things. And so it got in the hands of some agents who then put it in the hands of HBO, who had the book, Life and Death of Peter Sellers, but didn't really know what to do with it yet. Um, and we went in and kind of won the cattle call. Right. Um, with a pitch that we were, we pitched something. I don't even quite remember what it was. <laughs> I remember what it was. Uh, and they loved it. What was the pitch? And then they called us the next day and said, it is, Legal has informed us it is the most expensive movie. Utterly <laughs> prohibited <laughs> to make that he, movie. Uh, Sellers would have uh, told all the characters he would have played were going to tell the story of Sellers' life. So you oh, had to get I the see. rights to right. the guy from the party. You had to get the rights to everybody from Strangelove. Because when, when you do a biopic and someone's yeah. dressed as that, you don't need to do the yeah. rights. When you are saying it is that character, suddenly you have now stolen property. That's right. So we had to come up with a, like 72 a different hours later. variation yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, it's so funny that they, when you were like, it's you know they they told us it was really expensive, and I was like, what, what was uh, it? What were HBO you going to expensive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like what happens Mid in the script? They're like, well, Peter Sellers picks up uh, New York and then just <laughs> drops <laughs> it on the ground. It's a weird thing. Way, but, uh, you know, effects were very expensive. Yeah. Back then. <laughs> That's right. And then from there, I guess really the. The two kind of major franchises that you guys have made your name on, um, both you know, sort of fantasy, sci-fi, yeah, Narnia, yeah. And, and Marvel, but two yeah. dramatically different experiences. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was nice enough, uh, but that franchise didn't, um, you know, it didn't take off. Say like, no franchise has taken off like Marvel has. Right. Uh, so we had done the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We'd come in. Um, actually, the sellers script is what got us that job because Andrew Adamson, the director, oh. had read it and went and, uh, and really liked it and liked the voice and, and the idea that we were, you know, sort of writers for adults and, and he didn't want kids writers or fantasy writers to come in and, mm -hmm. and help him. Um, so, so we came in on a rewrite that's on right. that one. All right. um, and then we stayed on Prince Caspian and then we got fired off of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But and it was a, it was like a film school, kind of. I mean, those were our first really big movies right. and we were on the set for a bunch of some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were all different. We, we, we rewrote on the first one. Mm -hmm. We co-wrote with Andrew as a team on the second one. And we were rewritten on the third one. Right. So it was a nice little sort of lifespan of the Hollywood writer. But it was also like your first experience of having to navigate sort of the complexities of a canon, right? And, oh, yeah. yeah and sure. dealing with like all a the different fan people base who are and all involved that. Yeah. in it. And yeah. the, the people who own the, yeah. the stories yeah. and the rights and the yeah. arguments between, yeah. you know, the estate and, uh, yes. I mean, that could and not have been an sitting easy... Sitting down and looking at something that is, that is delightful, but not a movie. Right. right. And having you, the pressure from the studio to, you know, kind of make it a lot less delightful, but much more resemble a movie. And you're like, what, what have I gotten? <laughs> yeah. And the fan base. Couldn't the I mean, witch come back? No, he <laughs> killed her. <laughs> no, and, but it's, it, what's she came, funny. She came back. Yeah, she, she came back. back. <laughs> with, with Narnia, not only are you dealing with this sort of rabid fan base, 
but there's also this kind of religious aspect. Yeah, I knew to you it, were right? going to get yeah, around. I was going to bring, it, I was gonna bring yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, it was. Aslan's the lion. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> so if Aslan is Jesus and your last That's name right. is Aslan, right. I think you can put the yeah, pieces together. It makes Chris. a lot of sense. I think you right. just draw a line. That's right. Just call uh, the show. So this is this Jeez. my funny uh, Narnia story uh, is that I've spent most of my life in America having uh, people lose their shit when they hear my name, <laughs> you know? Because okay. it's that kind of right. fan base, yeah. right? Again, it's right. not just, oh, I love these stories. Right. It's like, no, this lion is my personal lord and savior. Yeah. Like, not really, right, it's right. a lion or right. whatever. Right. Um, and then I have to tell those people that I've never read the books. Right. Um, and the look on their faces, they're just like, I mean, horrified. Reza, you have to read Now, in, in, in my defense, by the time right. I could read English, I was too old to read those books. Right. But You're never too old for the messaging. Is that right? Is that, you're, I'm, you mean salvation is always there for me? Wow. Thank Second you. Second floor. I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, in some ways, I know it sounds weird, but that, that kind of prepared you for oh, sure. the madness oh, that you were about to no, experience. The, we now live in a Hollywood which is all about IP, right? And it's sort of awful to call C.S. Lewis's books IP, but they are in some ways. So uh, people started hiring us because they knew we wouldn't screw up their IP. Mm. Uh, and particularly that first movie is really kind of a nice, lovely, you know, mm. it's a bit of a love letter to, to the book. It's uh, the book itself is three acts in a way some of the other ones aren't right you know um and uh uh so i think we got a reputation as guys who could get along with others and you know work within a system um and also for the for the first two we stayed on through shooting yeah. you know and we were able to work within a system where you know we learned what the other departments needed and we were able to right. not you know, somebody will listen to this and go, yeah, you just did what anybody told you. It's like, no, we collaborated because that's how movies get made. Uh, let's talk about craft. Um, services? Craft services, yeah. Oh, all, I'm telling you, little crackers, candles. cheese, yes. all you can eat. Um, obviously, you guys have a, a, a deep, uh, long-lasting relationship as, as friends and as, you know, creatives. I, I'm just curious, how, how does the collaboration work uh, with the two of you? I mean, like, nuts and bolts-wise, mm. how does it work? I don't mean, like, can you actually stand each other? Wait, can you stand each other? We can generally uh, stand each other. Generally, yeah, more <laughs> yeah. or less, yeah. Um, but, I mean, uh, the, the, take us through the creative process. How do you guys work uh, together? Well, more often than not, we've adapted. Uh, a pre-existing book, a comic book, mm -hmm. uh, true story. So we will sort of ingest all the source material we can get. And then initially just start talking about, or maybe even three by five carding, just things we liked from within it. Scenes, mm -hmm. weird revelations about a person. And start, just put them out on the floor or on the right. table in a kind of, haphazard cloud and start going like oh, that's you know if if you dragged that through a movie that's right. a hell of an arc for a character mm -hmm. that one fucked up that candidate that's a candidate for the midpoint or that's right. what's the worst thing to happen to this main character right mm -hmm. oh it's probably that card that feels like the end of act two you know you sort of or you say 
you did the same thing seven times with seven different people, probably can't do all that. Right. Pick the best one, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it tends to winnow it, well, uh, we winnow it. Yeah. And then you connect the dots? Yeah, I mean, it, then we begin to figure out a, a story. You know, if it's like in a, when you're adapting comics, it's more often than not a pretty brand new story with components right. that right. you've seen. Um, uh, so yeah, then we begin probably the hardest part and the most sort of, I use soul sucking in the best <laughs> possible sense of the word oh, process the best sense where word, it, it really it. is us locked in a room, just suggesting things and watching them die <laughs> and suggesting right. things That's and right. watching them die right. until things begin to stick. And that takes longer than it does to write. Yeah. And it is probably the hardest part and the most important part because there's mm -hmm. two of us. Right. Like we can't improvise because I'll just screw over what he's writing. Mm -hmm. If I toss everything out and go, I had a brainstorm right. last yeah. night. Yeah. Right. And he's like, well, thanks. <laughs> Hulk's a woman now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, but you, you must have like certain strengths and weaknesses, right? Like, uh, what, what would, sure. no, let's, weaknesses. let's do this. You want to do this one? I want to, yeah, I sure. I'm going to sure. tell you what your strengths sure. and weaknesses are. No, yeah. uh, I was, literally, I was just going to ask you like what your strengths and weaknesses are, but I think it'd be more fun no, for right. you to tell me what his strengths yeah. and weaknesses are. Tell uh, me what my weaknesses that's are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Upper body strength. No. Um, <laughs> working on it. Uh, uh, Chris, unlike me, uh, is uh, slower to enthusiasm, right? <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. what that does is it vets everything. Right. So I have a tendency to go, that's an idea. We should do this idea mm -hmm. that I just had. Mm -hmm. You had an idea. We should do that too. Let's just do that idea. And he goes, okay. Well, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but what, what if, if we don't do this idea? <laughs> what if it's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, to go down the road two steps in this idea. Okay, uh, fine. But now we have no ideas, <laughs> right? So that's uh, uh, so he's a little slower in that regard, and that's that vets the whole thing. He also, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how we work generally, he sort of um, is the carpenter towards the end of the process. So um, I'm I carry a lot of the load early in terms of mm -hmm. structure and putting stuff on whiteboards and sort of just generally, you know, keeping trains running. And Chris towards the end is the one that goes, this line can be 15% better. Mm -hmm. And we sit at his computer and it runs through him. So you're Iron Man and he's Hawkeye. Is Hawkeye. That, yeah. Like he's just sort of semi-helpful, is what you're saying. You yeah. do most that of the not work. not what I said in yeah. any way. You yeah. do most of the work and he kind of shows up and, you know, no, like, more does this a few like, times. Like, he's, That's he's the Hulk. He lifts, he lifts heavy things. <laughs> uh, what about, what about Chris's it. weakness? Uh, or was that it? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's a that story. was largely oh weakness. Uh, no, I mean, like, uh, it's... Incontinence. Uh, yeah, what am I going <laughs> 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 All right, we'll just leave it there. Well, I know, yeah, what, I know <laughs> what my weaknesses are. <laughs> tell, us what, tell us what your weakness is, and then I want to see uh, if, if uh, Steve agrees. Uh, <laughs> well, it's uh, everyone's weaknesses are often the, just the shadowy side of their strengths. Uh, lack of enthusiasm. <laughs> um, and uh, possibly a, not the best level of concentration you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> the internet hurt us a lot. And, yeah. <laughs> He's just surfing the web. Nah, I found ways to drift mm -hmm. off even before the internet. Uh, 
Yes, no. But uh, you now want his strength. I want, yeah. Leg, <laughs> he's really looking forward to this. Yeah. Leg day. <laughs> leg day, that's uh, his strength. He's unbelievably well organized and makes things happen as opposed to, you know, my, what might, you know, what, being critical is a nice thing, but it just means nothing. You kill things. And literally nothing would be created at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he pushes it forward and he builds the structure and writes it on the board and keeps things in his head so that uh, it becomes a uh, extremely sound thing as opposed to a bunch of little flourishes with no spine, um, which is what distinguishes, I think, the movies we've made from other people's movies mm -hmm. where they bog down and you don't know what it's about. like. These things chug along, not in a, not in a formula way, but mm -hmm. in a, you know, I would rather be on a bridge that is very well made because right. I know I'm not going to die at the end. And that gives me the ability to go look at the scenery on either side. Mm -hmm. If you're on a terrifying, poorly built bridge, you're not going to know what you passed right. by because you're worried about dying the entire time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a brand new metaphor. No, I like that. That's yeah. pretty good. Brand yeah. new one. Yeah. Uh, and then is there a weakness that you want to... Uh, I didn't say yours. I'm trying to break this relationship up is what I'm trying to say. I have an idea for a, for a script that I want to pitch mm. to he Steve. He likes... And that's you're right. in the way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he likes more things than I do. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like I was going to say, I would put it... Uh, Chris's inner critic is loud and mine is not very loud. Right. And his should be quieter and mine should be louder. <laughs> How do you guys deal with uh, with like disputes or, or differences? You know, I mean, is it just... We've learned that, particularly on, on, on big movies that we're working with a yeah. lot of people on, that, you know, you, you put up your dukes a little bit, but you realize that um, uh, there's gonna be another chance at, uh, at, at biting this apple mm. if this doesn't work. You know, like there's, it, this isn't the end of the line for this conversation. Um, so that happens all the time where one yeah. guy just goes, this guy clearly wants it more or has a better reasoned argument other than I just don't like it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll go down the road. And then if it didn't work, then. You can always you know, keep it yeah. in your back pocket. Yeah. But more, I mean, 99% of the time, you know, if you, you know, cut and paste that little thing because yeah. there's a diamond in there. Right. And open it the next day and I cannot find the diamond for the live stream. I was like, I, this, I was sure this was fucking brilliant yesterday, but it literally right. says the exact same thing that he proposed that pissed me off. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, which is, you know, part of the delusional quality of writing, which is what allows you to write. Because, yeah. like, writing is fundamentally from the outside kind of ridiculous. I'm going to sit down with some paper and tell a story about some people who do some stuff. It's Make like, why don't you things. go get dig a hole in <laughs> yeah. real life or do something, help people. Uh, but you have to get kind of junked up on how great it is in order to keep going, you know, and feel a little bit of energy there, which might not actually be there, but it's the only thing that's going to get you to the end. Um, yeah, I've read our first drafts. The magic is, mm -hmm. the magic leaves by the back door <laughs> in the night. Well, and if, if that weren't complicated enough, you have to deal with sort of the entire 
Marvel machine, right? I mean, that in and of itself mm -hmm. has its own yeah. process through which a, a story is constructed and, and the scripts are written. Uh, I read somewhere that you guys uh, referred to yourselves as not just screenwriters, but mm -hmm. Marvel's R&D department, which for, I think is amazing. And so I guess, I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, it, it's it's enough work already to sort of maintain all of the yeah. the sort of narrative arcs that that are involved in any one of these scripts. But how do you then kind of balance that with all the other stories, all the other characters, all you know that Mar Marvel's yeah. got the next thirty years planned? You know, I mean, Loose, is that's that, that that's the shtick though? Like, you know, oh, they, it's all a lie. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's a, some advertising. It's a retroactive lie. <laughs> yeah. It's a retro. Yeah, um, like these movies wouldn't be good if they knew exactly what they were going to be every time. They have general thoughts. Yeah. Like literally, they handed us Thanos, and we went, "All right, Thanos." Right? We'll go, they were just like, we'll go Thanos. look his go. ass up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like they, we, you know, the, the story was was handed to us in any in any way. Um, and neither is the slate. Uh, so when the question comes up, how do you deal with all those other things? Um, what they're really good at. Uh, uh, Kevin Feige sort of just, you know, this is his mantra. You're going to write the movie and make the movie in front of you. And that is the thing you have to make as best as you can. And if that means borrowing from something that would be amazing in somebody else's movie, screw them, right? You've got to make this meal first. And that person will make a different meal. Mm. Yeah, you, uh, don't, you don't get a third movie if you fuck no. up the second Wait, has anyone no. ever stole your shit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there have been occasionally stealing. They just have the thing that we wanted to use. Mm. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, there is there is no theft. In yeah, a, that's not really. Theft. You know, <laughs> in, in also the in a in a in a genre that's based on seventy years of storytelling, yeah. a lot of these stories have been told in right. different ways. And if you're going like, no, I was going to use the Mad Bomb. That's from right. 1965. I'm the one that said Hulk got angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like. That was me. <laughs> yeah, we're all playing in the same box. So, but you ask, you know. Yeah. Um, and the Marvel has a good system of the the EP on each movie. Mm. They sort of gather together and tell each other what they're up to and what they're thinking about. Um, but it's very loose. Mm -hmm. It is a a kind of improvisational studio, which is a crazy thing to attempt. Right. But it seems to have worked. You know, one of the, the oldest debates in writing has to do with the idea of the protagonist, right? Um, uh, more specifically, how many protagonists can a story have? Um, right. And the thing is, is, the protagonist isn't the main character of the story. That's the wrong way to think of who the protagonist is. Yeah. The protagonist is the eyes through which um, you experience the story, right? It, the, the protagonist is the motivation that uh, drives the narrative forward. And so uh, what a lot of writers will say, I mean, I remember my teachers saying this all the time, is that you can't really have more than one protagonist, right? Mm -hmm. If you have more than one protagonist, then you have multiple motivations, right. multiple uh, drives, multiple mm -hmm. goals. It, it doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, maybe you could have like two protagonists if you separate them in you know different chapters. Maybe you can have three or four protagonists if you're like Faulkner good, do you right. know? Yeah. 
You guys have 23 protagonists. So uh, we're like it, six times as good as Faulkner. Like, yeah. That's exactly we're what like I'm trying to say. Six yeah. Faulkners. You are six Faulkners. <laughs> Think that's what you of are. the alcohol it would take to power. <laughs> but I mean, it's like I mean, honestly, what, when I was reading reading about um, your work and and sort of the, the you know the, the criticism, the comments. Yeah. The thing that always bothered me is that the Avengers movies, especially these last two Avengers movies. Um, are often described as ensemble films, mm. and they're not ensemble films. Uh, a ensemble film means there's a protagonist, and then there are like six beautiful people around that protagonist. Yeah. But you are talking about 23 fully realized <laughs> three-act narrative <laughs> arcs, you know, yeah. for each of these right. characters, I which don't is know insane. If they're all fully realized. All right, well, fully. Then maybe a few of them are fully less realized. Probably disappointed than, uh, with yes. their fully uh, three-act well, and, arc. and if that's not enough, you know, we were, you were mentioning Thanos yeah. uh, earlier. Uh, I guess technically he's the antagonist. No, he's the antagonist. Uh, but the, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. He's not even movie, the antagonist. In the first movie, he's the protagonist. Yeah. The only way we could get through it. How yeah. do you juggle that? I mean, first of all, it's such a violation of every rule of writing. Yeah. But how do you juggle it all? Well, it's a very special situation. In the first movie, we had 18 movies behind us. Yeah. And in the second movie, we had 21 movies behind us. So I'm not saying it made the job easier, if anything, it made the job harder, but it, it did allow us to be leaner in terms of character setup because mm -hmm. everybody knew who they were and their basic dynamics so that we could get into plot and get these people into situations as fast as possible, which gave us more elbow room. <clears throat> we also um, ranked them, right? There's uh, uh, Groot and Mantis do not have the... Uh, the Groot arc. doesn't get three acts. No, but he gets a beginning, middle, and end. Wait, right. 2023? Right. 20, uh, solo Groot movie? Solo Groot movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but he at least gets to contribute at the end, right? Because One guy goes, got that he joke. Goes, <laughs> One guy. The Avengers nerd in the back got that joke. But, uh, uh, you know, but he goes from sullen teenager to a guy who contributes by cutting his right. arm off and picking up a hammer. Yeah. Oh my God, right? Um, uh, but Thor, say, goes through a much uh, bigger journey. He's got mm -hmm. more screen time, he's got more pathos, he's got a lot going on. Uh, but yeah, we, when attacking that, we had something like 23 characters that would, uh, come, that, that would appear on the poster one day uh, and said, oh my God, we can't do it if we do it uh, a traditional way, all right? Or the traditional way we have to do it is to just flip it. So that Thanos is gonna be the guy that's driving and everything. And in in the structure of the movie, the Avengers are the antagonists. Yeah. Right. 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 That's the only way we could do it. And in both movies, we you know, decided early on, we're gonna to have to break these people into subsets. You know, you can't have, mm -hmm. You'd need a tour guide. Okay, all the Avengers. <laughs> That's right. Get a buddy. <laughs> uh, so, the first movie is th three-ish sets of heroes, uh, kind of weaving through the universe. Right. Uh, and the same in the second, and, when they're, where yeah. they're traveling through time, which let us give more meat to each person because you didn't have to share the room with forty people. You yeah. only had to share it with two. Um, and, you know, you just kind of go from there and you yeah. do draft after draft where, okay, we know Natasha sucks in this one, you know, right. but we're going to go and we'll we're going to do round. the Natasha right. pass. Yeah. We'll right. And right. we'll do that for everybody. Right. And just keep 
tuning them so that they are primarily saying emotional character things and not plot things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you start off with this, yeah. this obsession with getting the plot across. And some of these plots are really obscure and you're like, okay, there are six infinity stones. And then, but audiences get that very quickly, more quickly than uh, we think in the first draft, usually. There's a lot more plot in the first, first drafts. Uh, and it gets pared away as you realize people aren't dumb. You know, mm -hmm. you explain something one time, they're like, mm, I get it. And they're very familiar with story tropes. And not to say you're telling a cliched story, but you're working within, you know, sort of corridors people have walked down before and you don't have to hold their hand. And it gives you much more time when you can push that stuff to the back to do character work in front and make it feel like... Right. Unique to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, everyone. It's Reza. I'm sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to pop in and say that if you're enjoying this episode, well, then you're in luck, my friends, because Rough Draft is also a TV show. And you can watch it all right now, along with Topic's other original series and exclusive programming from around the world. You can check it out for free on the Apple TV app, which is already on your favorite devices. With Apple TV, you can watch Topic at home or on the go with offline viewing, and you can even share your subscription with up to six family members with family sharing, which is what I do because I have a gigantic family. Go to apple.co slash topic to start your seven-day free trial now. That's apple.co slash topic. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So this goes back to where we kind of started, which was the core element of the craft that you guys work with is dialogue. And so this notion that dialogue is not meant to move plot forward, it's meant to reveal character, mm -hmm. uh, I think is precisely what makes <clears throat> these films special. They're not just superhero movies. They're, 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 there's a deep well of emotion and connection that we have to all of these characters. What's the trick there? What's the trick in figuring out a way to use a person's words Jeez. to say hmm. everything about the journey that that person's on? <laughs> and can you write uh, that trick for me? For you. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. Right. Do you have a cocktail Just napkin? whisper it in my ear. Yes. <laughs> um, it's more ease. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer, obviously. Like, I've, I've often said that scenes need to do more than one thing. Um, and if, if this is the scene where the character is revealed, and that's all that's doing, that's all that's happening in that scene, you screwed up the scene, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you go through Infinity War and Endgame, you'll find, particularly Infinity War, because the, the, the real estate is so 
precious uh, that most scenes are doing a number of different things, right? You're uh, uh, in the opening, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're introducing your big bad, right? You are getting rid of um, uh, Loki, your previous big bad, right? But showing in the way that he says goodbye to his brother that he's come around to a degree yeah. in a way that is tantalizing and all I only wish that that Loki would stick around, <laughs> he's gone, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you've introduced, um, uh, you've killed other characters, Heimdall, right? Uh, you've put Thor on a mission of vengeance, right? Even though at the moment we think he might be dead, but of course we don't think he's dead because he's mm -hmm. Chris Hemsworth. Uh, you've established the plot, right? Because uh, these uh, uh, monsters are gonna go to Earth and get me the stones and come back and rendezvous with me on Titan, right? So me and the audience go, ah, I've heard Titan. I know that's important. I know stones. those people are gonna yes. go meet with him. And then stones. I mean, Got I know everything about character. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, uh, and I saw that uh, Thanos beat the living hell out of the Hulk and oh my God, we're screwed. Right, if that guy's coming for us, you know, think about that seventeen, that seven yeah. or eight different things that have happened there. Um, dialogue well, it's like is like the, the first only seven minutes, by the right. way. Right, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is the first scene, and so in terms of dialogue, probably the most important accomplishment of that scene is introducing Thanos. Right, how's he going to talk? Um, how impressive is he? Mm -hmm. um, uh, what is his uh, level of respect for other characters? Because um, that'll grow. He doesn't seem right. to respect that many people. In right. this scene, right? But towards the end of the movie, he has some kind of respect for Tony, and that lands, you know. And you go, oh, he seems to understand that that, that Tony was trying to, you know, do his utmost, and he's not here about killing Tony. He's got a mm -hmm. mission. Um, that's the best way I can explain it, is that yeah. that every one of those scenes needs to do a Many lot. Things, right? Yeah, you can't yeah. you can't wander. You talk about something that's so important and such a great lesson for screenwriters, which is the difference between implicit and explicit dialogue, right? right? Yeah, right. That what a character right. isn't saying is often it's, way more important yeah. than what that character is saying. Yeah. So often I think young writers especially, you know, they want to just kind of use right. the, the words coming out it's of the mouth platform. to basically yeah. say, this is how I That's feel. Right. That's right. These yeah. are the things going on in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Right. Much, that, much better to say, what's the, what's the point of the scene, right? I want them, I, I want him to express his love to her, right? So now the challenge is, he never says that. Without right. ever saying but it. But by exactly the end, right. by when you get to page <laughs> yeah. five, you should know that's exactly how he feels. Now go. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's good writing. Let's talk about themes here for a minute. Um, I think there's um, a lot of explanations for why uh, superhero uh, movies are so huge, so popular, so, you know, so much a part of the, the global zeitgeist. I have yeah. my idea uh, mm -hmm. about why. Uh, I'd love to hear your idea about why before I tell you why you're wrong and I'm right. Understood. Um, At least you're going to wait. And it, That's yeah. nice. I'm kind enough to... Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to edit this part it's out. It's your show. Yeah. So yeah. It's yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, go ahead and just talk about it if you'd like. What do you think? What What's happening? I mean, it's, yeah. it's more than... it's To say that it's captured the imagination uh, of people across the world or that it's in the zeitgeist, like those, that doesn't... I don't think give okay, it justice. Okay, I'll ask I you mean, questions. Do you think it is more than just uh, it's time in the sun, right? Like, is it not, back up slightly. Clearly, um, uh, visual effects have come uh, such a long way that we can actually realize some of the things uh, that Stanley mm -hmm. had uh, mm -hmm. and, and uh, Jack Kirby had imagined. So there's that. And that's all a new toy to some degree. But isn't it also just the myths of the Western, 
right? And you know, you, I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like some ridiculous, like throughout the 50s, thousands of Westerns got made. We don't yeah. remember them all, because right. they, you know, they, they were sort of fillers, but uh, the classics remain. Uh, isn't it just the need for simple, I, wanna, I don't want to be reductive, <clears throat> yeah. but it's not just simple, but like, you know, myth, and good guys and bad guys, and then a reflection of the society sometimes. Yeah. We certainly do that, you know, sure. where soldier in Civil War have some small things to totally. say about, mm-hmm. you know, the police state and Israeli mm-hmm. state and things like that. Um, uh, so many times, I, I kind of just think it's a it's a viable genre like the rom-com or a Western or sci-fi or anything like that. I mean, ah, maybe, I don't I mean, know. I mean, I think it's, one, it's, it's, you know, I think you also have to, and I'm partial. You have to differentiate the 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 Marvel phenomenon from superhero movies in general. I know Marvel has the sort of lion's share of them, but uh, that interconnected shared world is something that humans crave. Mm-hmm. And also, we have very few, or fewer and fewer, shared experiences. We don't have water cooler shows anymore because everything's chopped into little pieces. You know, I saw the people crying at the end of this movie and I've seen the box office and it's not because, ooh, wow, things blow up. It's because this thing that so many people have been invested in at the same time has come to a conclusion. And that's almost impossible to do these days Mm -hmm. to get that many eyeballs on a thing. Um, And it's because they cared. It's not because, it's not just escapism. You know, there are people no. who want to go like, There's plenty you know, of options if yeah, you're looking for escapism. Yeah, there are fanboys who like yeah. just, pl- yeah, bullshit. It is because they connected to the characters and to the actors and to the writing that's in those movies. Um, well, I, I as think, to why... But why super- superhero as opposed to, you know, because Game of Thrones basically was yeah. a, became a water cooler show yeah. and people were invested in that way. You know, did like, okay. Did okay, right? Yeah. That's a, so it's not, it's, it's not ju- I would argue, it's, it's not just no, superheroes. Chris is, is, is talking about emotional investment that social media and the internet can allow in a way that you couldn't in the 50s. People couldn't go you know, and sort of sob about high noon. Yeah, no, you know? this, is, this is something of another uh, caliber. So you guys know that my, when we first talked about doing this, I, I thought that it would be fun if, uh, you know, we had members of the audience come with their kind of Comic-Con, you know, Marvel nerd questions, yeah. you know, and, and it would be funny if they like stood up and stumped you in some way, like, you know, what what's the, in the first uh, Iron Man, what was the combination on, on uh, Tony Stark's uh, it's an, an safe. offensive voice yeah. you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks very much. Thank fine. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it was, a, it was kind of offensive. And you're right. And I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. I will not make that adenoidal. Um, but here's what happened. Is that I asked a few friends, some of whom are here, to... Um, who are Marvel fans, mm-hmm. like big, you know, big time Marvel fans. I asked them... Uh, to send me some, you know, ideas for what their questions would be. And what they sent me were not nerd questions. Yeah. They were like the superhero equivalent of like Talmudic ruminations, you know? Right. It was like hardcore, like scriptural exegesis. Yeah. Um, and I had to say to them, I was like, well, this isn't, it's not funny, first of all, you know? <laughs> Second of all, it's going to take you 20 minutes to read this thing. Yeah. 
And I don't even get it. I don't even understand <laughs> it. And I have a degree in this stuff. Yeah. I don't get it. And I think part of this has to do with the fact, and let's, let's think about this, right? Yeah. So this whole thing starts around the Second World War, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. that's, that's around the time that, you know, uh, sociologists will say that's, that's when we started talking about God is dead, that religion is over, that evil is real, um, that we don't need to talk about you know, these sort of cosmic forces that are controlling our lives. It's right here right. in front of they us. Just made you know, it's, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and suddenly you start to get the rise of these new kinds of mythologies, these superhero mm -hmm. mythologies. And maybe this is just the way that my brain thinks anyway. But I think that what's happening is that these superheroes have essentially become our new gods. Because... Yeah. God has just kind of failed us in so many different ways, you yeah. know? Like, I always think about this, like, who would you rather uh, uh, <laughs> avenge you and somebody? Like, like, whose justice are you more interested in? God's mm. justice or Captain America's justice? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, one, I don't know, like, Maybe it'll Old happen. Old Testament, New yeah, Testament, exactly. you have to be clear. Right. right. Exactly. Even yeah. the Old Testament right. exactly. guy. Even the Old Testament guy, right. you know. Um, and obviously, like, I'm not the first person to note this. This isn't, sure. like, some new idea. I mean, the DC uh, oh. superheroes, and I don't mean to shit on DC. I, I do kind of mean no, to shit on DC. But I wanna, it's your uh, show. The, the, the DC heroes are just basically, like, Greek gods with capes. I mean, Superman is Zeus, right. and Batman is Hades, and the Flash is uh, Hermes, mm -hmm. and Wonder Woman is literally just a Greek god. <laughs> right. They didn't even try with that yeah. one. No, they were right. just like, well, just, she's actually a Greek god. In Marvel, it's it's a little bit more sophisticated, but it's still no, yeah. just the new I mean, they gods. They have Thor. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. Actual right. god. Um, so does that make this scripture? I mean, is this, <laughs> like, are you guys, I mean, you're, you are writing, you're not writing. So to, I'm. You're Jesus is what I'm trying no, to say. No, no, no you're no, more like Peter or John. You're more like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. No, I'll give you Paul. I'll give yeah, you Paul. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but, I mean, like, I, I don't mean to make, make light of this because there is something very serious here, which is that we are desperate for a modern mythology, right? Yeah. Our old mythologies have failed us and we're desperate for something new. And this mythology showed up at just the right time. It's not just movies. It's not just yeah. a rom-com that I'm into. It's not yeah. the Game of Thrones. It's yeah. something way, way deeper than that. Well, I would agree. I mean, I would also, you know, to reduce that, it has been since the 50s through the 70s through now the time of the anti-hero, mm -hmm. you know, who we all love. Uh, but we've come to a point where we need a hero. Where, you know, where we've all gotten so cynical and genuinely evil people have risen up and gone, hey, no one's stopping mm -hmm. me. That we need the... I, you know, and I, my entire being is based on irony. We <laughs> desperately need unironic figures to stand up. And I think people know it and they feel it and they go, yeah, we get a grown up in the room and 
as sarcastic and as jokey and as ridiculous as some of the Marvel characters are, they are effectively grown-ups who are going to f fix the problem, fix better. the problem, yeah. or die trying, right, um, or both. Um, I, I will you know, say, that I will, yeah. said, a lot of these movies came out before Trump was elected, right? So, you know, but, and the characters predate all of that. I oh, mean, yeah. like, I mean, no. this is not. Are we saying that? You know, my my religious background is not n nearly you know as as deep as you know, perhaps yours or Reza's, but like, you know, uh, like, this is way deeper than mine. But yeah, I don't know if I accept this. You know, I, I yes, granted, uh, in this moment, uh, it's well documented that we are in a chaotic spot. Like right. I texted my yeah. friend the other day, just literally about. Uh, waterproofing a, a concrete wall because he is a, a contractor uh and he said something he said like congratulations on the movie so i sent him a little uh gif of cap saluting and this he is not a comic book guy he's like a heavy metal bass player actually uh and he's and he texted me back fuck i wish that guy was real <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah me too well, so it, this is interesting because this really, to me, encapsulates, uh, first of all, it just proves my argument and that I'm right, but uh, encapsulates... What, what? What? You'd have to be right for the whole century, right? Is that what you're saying? I am right for, the, right whole for the whole century. century. So I'll grant you that Simon and Kirby uh, created Captain America in March, April of 1941, which is well before Pearl Harbor, right? So in that sense, yes, they're trying to create an American hero will stand up and, because, you know, we forget this, but like there were plenty of people who were like, I don't want any part of World War II. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's only when, you know, Hawaii Fascism got bombed is that the we thing that's, that's happening over there. It's not problem. about, my, yeah, it's not about it. me. So, yeah. yes, the invention of them was um, to address the, uh, address a very specific uh, world issue. Uh, but, you know, we had relative peace in the 50s. That's why those things all become about, you know, the atomic bomb and everyone gets irradiated, and, mm. you know, and that's how I get my superpowers because we're, it, it's, it's not necessarily, we're it's looking for a hero, it's times. reflective of the time. That's why I'm, I'm reluctant to say that, you know, we're all looking for a savior because God is dead. It's more that this is a template that we sort of, you know, put our anxieties on. And so we have a certain anxiety right now Mm -hmm. Right, <laughs> we had a certain anxiety in 1941, um, but I'm not positive it's because I think that religion has failed us. I mean, I have my own issues with it, but um, but I'm not positive it's because you know God died in 1940 and we just haven't buried him yet. Well, in each of those died cases, in but dad. this is the thing: myth is all about meaning, right? Myth isn't. It's, it's not just sort of storytelling for storytelling's sake. It's stories that essentially explain to us why the world is the way that it is. Yeah. They're, they're, they're means of explaining what's happening in the world. So, of course, a myth is going to change constantly as the circumstances change, mm -hmm. right? right? So, of course, the very first uh, you know time you see Superman, he's punching Hitler in the fucking chin, okay? Yeah. Like, that's... That is myth-making in, in its cap. most... That's cap. Is it cap. Captain? Yeah, so, cap. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Superman was fighting this, gangsters. This is probably the time <laughs> that I should probably admit that I, I've never read comic books, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, the point being that as our, as our needs change, as our circumstances change, the myth changes to, to meet those right. needs, yeah. right? And so, in a way, 
you were saying this really fascinating thing about sort of Captain America and that his purpose was that he's this guy who was like a hero and he becomes this model that Americans can say like, you know, to, to be American, you, we have to go uh, and, and confront this, this evil um, because it's what we do. It's, it's what it means to, to be uh, uh, American. Yes. At the same time, what we're seeing here with these superheroes in the way that they're replacing God, in the way that the mythology is replacing the sort of scripture as mythology, is that they're offering us a different kind of God, right? A God specifically meant for the 20th and 21st century. Because when you read scripture, when you, see, when you read sort of the ancient mythologies, what you see is a God who has these sort of superhuman powers, who exists up there mm. and who has nothing to do with me whatsoever, right? Yeah. Who, make, who does actions that sometimes... Uh, on the you know collateral damage of when you look at comic book heroes, what you see is the normal person, mm -hmm. the puny pimpled kid mm -hmm. who is suddenly given God's power yeah. and who right. becomes the stand-in for the divine. Mm -hmm. And now it becomes aspirational. You were talking about this when you were reading comics when you were a kid, right? Yep. That you you see these people who could be you, right. save for a radioactive spider bite. Right. Yes. You know, they're you. I let, I let spiders bite me all. Yeah, exactly, just in case. Yeah. But just you're also case. talking about film in general, because that's all movies are, right? Like, I, I wanted a whip, uh, you know, uh, after Indiana Jones, right? Like, I, I watch Star Trek and I want a phaser. Like, I want, uh, I have models, right, uh, that I want to emulate, not, again, because I'm looking for mm. God. Let me flip it around for you. It's more than you were watching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and you're like, I want a whip. Yeah. It's that part of what it meant for you to grow up in America as a white dude was this notion of radical individualism. The rules don't apply to you. You've been told that all of your life. And now here's a hero made just for you. A guy who doesn't take shit from anyone, who is by himself whips and motherfucker brown, and has a whip. Brown people. Has a whip and I want that whip. <laughs> right stories are about who we are as human beings, are about how we understand the world. And the world, certainly the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 years mm. of it, has stopped making sense. You know what does make sense? Mm -hmm. Good and evil. Yeah. The good guy and the bad guy. Captain America and, you know, the, the villain. And I think that there is such desperation for that. Yes, it is true that it's become a more complex story. Well, but also, but you're... All right, it's, I'm glad that we invented stories with good guys and bad guys in the last 50 years. Oh wait, no, we've had them for thousands <laughs> yes. of years. Good and evil, right. absolutely. Protagonists, antagonists, absolutely. But again, how do we actually envision those protagonists, right? Are they, are they becoming sort of mythologized mm. in, in one way or another? Are they essentially being handed sort of divinity? Like it's a, sort of being passed to them as a torch. Save us. Save us, Captain America. Mm. Save us, Thor. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we're looking for, I think. And this is why I don't think it's a fad. I really don't think okay. it's a fad. I, I honestly believe that the kind of myth-making that we're seeing now capture the imagination of the globe, right. that mm -hmm. kind of myth-making is going to have uh, a, a, a seismic consequences. I, I think it's, it's going to change the way that we tell stories, whether they have to do with superheroes or not. How are they going to change the way we tell stories? You mean? Well, I think first and foremost, 
you started this by saying, oh, uh, and, I, and I got this, but you said mm -hmm. that uh, Thanos was the protagonist. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, minds were just blown when you said that. But let's think about it for a minute mm -hmm. here. This is a man who is confronting the single greatest existential threat that we are all facing, right? Forget about anything else. Right, Trump, yeah. right. fascism, all that. There is only one threat that matters, right. and that is overpopulation right. and the destruction of the ecosystem of this planet. And he's got a pretty good answer for it. Well. Temporarily. Right? Temporarily. You know, I mean, a workable <laughs> answer for it, right? Um, but it's it's the kind of answer that God would do, right? right God yeah. is sitting up on his throne. He's so annoyed with all the noise right. that's happening get, down get, here. Get two of every and he's animal. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna mm -hmm. fucking kill all of you because right. you're too too noisy and annoying. Yeah. And then, who who saves the day? The man, right? The right. one guy who sort of, in a way, takes on this kind of superhero outfit. It's an old story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's one that I think is being remade and refashioned mm -hmm. based on you know what it is that we need right now yeah right. you got to take this yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm the bible's the original ip <laughs> yeah we gotta get this the rights to that yeah. thing we're gonna get the rights to the bible <laughs> i'm gonna I, you know what I, i'm gonna prove this okay we're gonna we're gonna play a little game okay okay, okay this is a little game uh that i like to call god or superhero <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, god mm -hmm. or superhero sure Yes. So, we used to play as a camp. We, this is, yeah. This is, uh, you, you had a lot of Catholic experiences. <laughs> right. um, this, is a, this is a common game for you. So this is, what, this is how it's going to work. It kind of, kind of like um, uh, Jeopardy rules. So I'll just, I'll, I'll describe something. I'll mm -hmm. describe a, a being to yeah. you. Okay. And all you have to do is tell me God or Are superhero. we a team or are we competing? Mm, you're competing. Oh, good. Right, yeah. great. You're competing. Yeah. I actually have a pencil. I'm going to write this down. Right. Here we go. But God is a superhero. Mm. That's what I've been saying. Mm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay. Number one. Nicknamed the Mighty, this powerful being wields lightning, wind, and rain as weapons with which to defeat enemies. Has a particular hatred of snakes. God or superhero? Chris? I'm going to go with God on that one. Okay. Yeah, I think God too. God, yes, you're right. God. Baal. Baal. Oh, Baal. Baal. Very, very popular Canaanite deity yeah, in his time. Yeah, I remember time. Yeah. the, 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 the tale, tales of Baal. Baal, yeah. Is Good Baal guy. in India, John's section? Okay. Uh, it might be. <laughs> Number two. Both omniscient and omnipresent, meaning he can be anywhere and everywhere at once. You don't have to describe what I don't know how you're educated. You went to UC Davis. No. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. I, I'm not sure, wow. you know. They're watching. <laughs> All right, here we go. Both omniscient and omnipresent, which you apparently know what that means. Uh, this being is perhaps best known for creating an entire world from scratch. God or superhero? You want me to say God. I'm yeah, going to say superhero. You don't know what I want. Yeah, I'll say superhero. Mm -hmm. superhero. You said superhero. Superhero? Yeah. yeah. Correct. I'm speaking of Dr. Manhattan. Yes. Ah, That's right. Man. Yes. Legendary Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, 1986 creation, Dr. Manhattan. That's right. Okay. Number three. A reanimated skeleton wearing a tuxedo top hat and sunglasses 
whose favorite pastimes include drinking rum, smoking cigars, chasing women, and swearing profusely. God or superhero? God. This feels like a god and yeah, yes, he's like a, a like yeah, a like, like, some, a, like yeah, a voodoo. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Yes, Baron Samedi. <laughs> yes, That's right. Indeed. Yes, the spirit of the dead or loa as they say in Haitian voodoo. Well done. Damn. Okay. Number 4. Known simply as him by his many worshipers. Mm-hmm. This being is perhaps most famous for having died and risen from the dead. God or superhero? This actually sounds familiar and I want to say superhero. Just think about what your Catholic I'll just go God. Fine, I'll go God. No, it's superhero. It's Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, 1967. Adam Warlock. He dies and comes from the dead. He does it a couple of times. It's true. Yeah, that was okay. All right, last one. Immortal being who oscillates between creation and destruction can appear in multiple forms. Powers include omniscience, invisibility, super strength, Known for a volatile temper that has led him on multiple occasions to nearly wipe out all of humanity. God or superhero? I mean, come on. Super God. I'll say superhero. I'm going to go with God on that one. Literally God. That's right. Actual God. God. Yeah, God. Fine, actual God. God. Yeah, actual God. God. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I made my point. I think, yeah. I think I made it That's pretty right. clearly. Thank you. All right. So we always end our uh, shows uh, here with uh, something that we call the five questions. Uh, these are just kind of, you know, rapid fire questions. I'll ask you each and each of you guys give me, give me an answer. It's very simple. Very simple. All right. Here we go. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Steve. What's your favorite book? Um, I guess I'll say The Sun Also Rises. Uh, I, I went through a Hemingway phase really uh, uh, as, a, as a young man. Uh, and I, I, I think a lot of writers, probably white male writers, sort of look at him and go, ah, oh, that's a, that's a, prop, that's a that proper guy. writer. Yeah. And I have since, yeah. you know, sort of moved away from that. But I read it a lot and I taught it, I think, uh, uh, at one point. How, how old were you when you first... Uh, it's probably a high school book. High school, yeah. yeah, so yeah. I must have been like 15 or something. Nice. Yeah. Chris, favorite uh, book? For this, it, it, it splits down very cleanly. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, I, I vacillate between various books by F. Scott Fitzgerald. They're, his short stories have been mm. recompiled and compiled. There's a uh, one goes by the name Diamond as Big as the Ritz, but it's a book of, book of short stories. Uh, it's, it's absolutely lovely. Excellent. Uh, we talked a little bit about your, your collaborative writing process, but what's your uh, individual writing sure. process? What's your writing process? Um, I mostly treat it like a job so that it's uh, get up early, uh, do everything I need to do, try to get my ass in the chair by 8.30 or so, um, and I'm having the one cup of coffee then. I'm probably looking over the pages I did before uh, and shining that up, them up, and then I am writing whatever I assigned to myself that day. And that means that I have on the board mm. uh, a little list of the days of the week, and it says do scenes two, three, and four right. on Monday, do five yeah, on the, and nice. then when I'm done, I'm done. So that means I could be done at noon or I could be done at four, but you know, it, it, I, I try not to stay there all day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, right? I am <laughs> wasting so much time. I'm drinking 
a debilitating amount uh -huh. of coffee. Yeah. Uh, I am going, looking at the schedule and looking at the calendar and going, I got time. <laughs> I got time. But the anxiety is building up and I'm feeling worse and worse and worse about all the time that I'm not using writing. Then you get to the last day, I, I'm f I freak out. I, I do the writing. It doesn't take that long, and I go like, why the fuck didn't I do this at the beginning of the week? It would have felt so much better the rest right. of the time. Yeah. Uh, and then I hand it in and it starts again. That sounds familiar. awful. Yeah. Let's start with you, Chris, this time. If you weren't a writer, what would you be? <laughs> Rotting in the ground. Yeah. Shoveling snow, probably, because... I would have had to, I'm from Buffalo, I would have had to move back. Oh. I couldn't have kept up the LA lifestyle yeah. with, um, <laughs> you know, and then you do what, I'm uh, delivering pizza, be that that weird 50 year old guy. That's driving a legit up in a job Civic. in yeah. Buffalo. It is a legit job yeah. anywhere because yeah. the pizza's not going to drive itself. <laughs> but yeah, something like that. Right. Steve, if you weren't a writer, what would you be? Uh, uh, probably an English teacher of some kind. Uh, Chris, what's the worst writing advice you've ever gotten? I, I am, it's, it's such bad advice that I am so incredibly grateful to the person who said it because it came out of his mouth in the phrase I'm about to say. In the next draft, I want you to fully implement the police academy template. <laughs> <laughs> It's what I was going to say. I know. I know. That's why I went first. Because it's extraordinary. I don't think that sentence has ever no, it was been spoken. It was, exactly. We just sat there and went, yeah. Okay. We'll do that. Got it. Yeah. Uh, were you going to say the same thing? I was, but I gave this little. I mean, you can't beat yeah. that. No, it's, no, it's move tough on. to. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> thank you sir. That, that you may know who you are. I don't know if you do. Steven, what is the best writing advice you can give, particularly to you know a young, struggling writer, someone who's just kind of starting out or emerging? Hmm. Best writing advice. Um, I'll say the advice I kind of wish I had had ten years ago. Um, so it's not necessarily the best for for every particular writer starting out. Um, I could have used don't equate anxiety with work. Um, Tell me more about that. I really, really felt that the more I was thinking about the work, the more that I was stressing about the work, the more I brought the work home with me I meant see. that right. I was treating it with the um, import that it required, you know, it. because damn it, I moved to LA only to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I'm still not great at it, but I'm getting better at it. Um, uh, and I realize that uh, you can separate church and state much better and do both better. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. Chris? Uh, don't show anybody the first draft. Maybe don't show anybody the second draft. It gets better with every single draft and it you're never done. And if you don't have anybody to show it to, rewrite it again. Right. And this is also advice I would like to give to producers because they read a first draft and they freak out. And it's like, well, you fundamentally don't understand the nature of writing if you're freaking out about a first draft. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like going, like, we built, we put up all the wood that's on the inside of your house, and next time we're going to actually put the walls on. 
And the person comes and goes like, it's not any fucking walls. And it's like, yeah, because it's a first draft. Mm -hmm. um, Keep it to yourself. Yeah, so I want everybody to understand that on both sides of the process. So final question here, um, you know, after this massive success that you guys have had, like what, uh, what's next? I mean, is there a desire to kind of do something small, quiet, dark, maybe, maybe uh, like a, a, the origin story of some uh, popular villain that becomes a festival darling? I don't know, mm. like any, what's, what's, uh, what's <laughs> Thanos the early years? <laughs> what's, uh, what's next for you um, guys? <clears throat> we started a studio with the Russo brothers who had directed our last four films. And um, so we uh, uh, were producing more and we're also writing for this studio. And so the first thing that we wrote um, is um, uh, the, the Cambridge Analytica story. So the, our hope is to film that next year. You were looking um, for someone more villainous than Thanos. Yes. <laughs> we liked, we like, uh, it's a true complicated story that not everyone understands yet. And, uh, and we think it's important and, uh, and we, on our resume are a lot of weird little true stories. We just sort of lately uh, found ourselves in the, in the cultural zeitgeist for superheroes uh, and killing God, obviously. Um, so <laughs> no, we weren't uh, killing God. We were he creating was already, new yeah, ones. Yeah, oh, like, right. Yeah. You have, if you don't, if you stop downplaying this, you could have a comfortable position highly placed in the new church. <laughs> no. The only true Messiah is the one who denies he's the Messiah. Oh, oh. snap. Yeah. There you go. Where's your Messiah? <laughs> Where's your Messiah now? I can't thank you guys enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Marcus and Stephen McField. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much to my guests, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Um, they are the writers of uh, a very small movie called Avengers Endgame, and maybe you guys can help them out, see if you can maybe find that movie somewhere. I'm sure you could possibly find it online. Uh, you know, help them out and, and, and uh, watch the movie. They, they certainly could use the money, I think. Rough Draft is a topic original series hosted by me, Reza Aslan. Executive produced by Reza Aslan, David Andrioni, Alfredo De Villa, and Safa Samizadeh Yazd. Executive producers for Topic are Ryan Chamitri, Anna Holmes, and Gina Constantinakos, with production aid from Russell Sperberg. Our music and theme is by Jacob Snyder, sound by Sean Oakley, editing and mixing by Will Stanton, with additional editing by Blake V. You can follow Rough Draft on Twitter at Rough Draft Reza, on Facebook at Rough Draft with Reza Aslan, or you can email us at roughdraftpodcast at topic.com. You can also follow me, Reza Aslan, at Reza Aslan. For transcripts and a list of full credits, go to topic.com slash rdpodcast. If you love this interview, be sure to check out our TV show, as well as Topic's original series and exclusive programming from around the world. Try it for free on the Apple TV app already on your favorite devices. You can watch Topic at home or on the go with offline viewing, and you can also share your subscription between up to six family members with family sharing. That's what I do. Just go to apple.co slash topic, that's apple.co slash topic, to start your seven-day free trial now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Rough Draft. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 